0: Welcome back to the podcast for all of our viewers out there watching us or for all those listening to us on your way to work. Hope everyone's safe, everyone's staying healthy. Today we have two very special guests joining us on the podcast. We have Dr. Preston Klein visiting us here at Fort Bragg. He is the Director of Research and Education at the Mission Critical Team Institute. And we have one of our very own from the center, Ms. Cece Kraft. She is a cognitive coach with the Special Operations Cognitive Enhancement for Performance. So welcome to you both, thank you Thank you for joining us, it is definitely an honor. Um, Mr. Preston Klein, now Dr. Preston Klein has been a uh, a pillar of the RSOFT community in terms of what he has done for research and to make us better uh, for years. I think my entire SF career, I've always heard the name Preston Klein. So thank you for joining us today, it's an honor to have you. Um, So today we're gonna talk about high performance teams and one of our SOFT truths is that humans are more important than hardware. Humans are very much a part of a high-performing or a high-performance team. So today, that's going to be the theme of what we talk about. Talk about why high-performing teams are what they are, and just basically have a discussion about um, what that looks like in in the world, what it looks like in the soft community, because we have two of our of our subject matter experts um, in that. So I'll just start it off with um, special operations soldiers. Teams, units within special operations are kind of seen by by everyone else as you know the problem solvers. You're the guys that that solve problems, and that's kind of how they they characterize us. You've been working with high performing teams in the special operations community, uh, the FBI, the fire department, wildland fire, smoke jumpers, some people that just run and go and do the most dangerous things on the planet. High performing. Um, would you
1: agree with that assessment or that characterization of that you know? We're just problem solvers. You know, it's really interesting when people bring this up to me because the truth is, is that when you when you say, um, "Hey, we're, you know, the reason we're here is because we're problem solvers," what I always think of is, "So is my golden retriever, and so is my mom, right?" The human brain and the dog brain is designed to solve problems. If I hide my dog's bone, she will find it. She will solve that problem. The reason that we have unconventional or special operations, what makes you special, is that you're adaptive problem solvers, which means that you have to find a way to be adaptive in the way that you think, the way you problem solve, the way you you move in the world, right? But that mindset change from being sort of a conventionally fixed mindset of of contingency planning, right? I'm I'm gonna predict the future, you have to move to this sort of capacity building, Um, I'm going to build the capacity in the team to adapt to whatever comes. But that mindset change, and this is where CC, I'm going to bring you in, right, is is it's not simply taking a a conventional soldier and making them faster. It really is about thinking differently about the problems that are coming your way. And I don't know if you wanted to add to any of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I loved what you talked about before we even started this. uh, You know, a soft soldier is not a guy that's thinking conventionally faster. He's actually looking at, or she is looking at, thinking about this in in different ways and is able to consider um, many different ways to solve the same problem. And, And that And willing to come up against a problem that's slightly different and can recognize that it's slightly different. And so I think how that person, how that soldier thinks about building themselves and their personal capacity, knowing who they are as a human being, is this really essential component of they are the constant moving from these different situations. And so how well they're building their own capacity and looking around for their team's capacity becomes this essential component to being adaptable in these different problem-solving situations.
1: The one thing that occurs to me while you're talking is one of the real dangers with any team that's intact like your teams is that that ability to stay adaptive actually declines as you spend more time together. Like all teams that spend a lot of time, we start thinking and acting the same way, finishing each other's sentences. That's a strength, but it's also a strength taken too far as a weakness because what's happening is the cognitive tools in your toolbox are getting decreased. So everybody's coming up with the same hammer. And so your team, even though you're building cohesion and trust, you're starting to finish each other's sentences, you have to actively find ways to make sure that you have someone associated with you who's thinking of the weird wazoo answer. And that's the other big challenge.
2: Yeah, so we talk a lot within this community, and I think you're bringing up such a great point. We'll talk about like finding the point of failure in training and the team that's willing to find a point of failure. Mm. So sometimes I think, especially with the um, op tempo we've had and the deployment cycles and, and how long we've been deploying overseas, there's this want to gain comfort when you're not deployed. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the things that best teams do is they're excited about finding, whether it's something as simple as range time, um, or whether it's the way they're working through CQB or even leader engagements, they're finding training that's gonna challenge them and force um, their team dynamics and their communication mechanisms and their way of interacting to evolve and change too. They're not just doing what the team already knows they do well. Because to Preston's point, you know, part of teams they norm to each other, right? So they can finish each other's sentences. But what happens the first time um, that you're put in a situation that, that challenges a team? Can the team evolve together? Can they recognize that you're not saying the thing you normally say? So how should I be adapting to that? Um, and I think that's difficult to continually it's, look for a failure point. But
1: I think what's great, and this gets back to something you said before, which is what do the great teams do? And what I can tell you is that the, really the individuals who I see just moving from success to success are the ones that very early in their career weaponize their curiosity. They're the people that just want to know what's behind the curtain. And they're constantly trying to figure out what's next and what's next. They're not waiting for you to tell me or you to say, oh, that's the course. I'm already two steps ahead, because not because I need to get the checklist item on my my career, but because that's the problem we're facing. And as a team, if that's the problem we're facing, somebody on the team needs to know about X. So it might as well be me. I might as well pick up a book or listen to a podcast. The great ones are always learning, right? They're the ones that go to the bathroom and have to have a a book with them, right? They don't like wasted time. I think that's such a...
0: The way you describe that is how I have seen a lot of people in the the special operations community that do well. Yeah. Um, The curiosity, you know, staying curious. The hunger to want to know, figure things out. Um, So one of the the things you had mentioned about being on a team um, too long or staying in that group um maybe asking you for for some advice into looking at our formations is that sometimes you know an assignment you stay at a unit for x period of time yep you don't always have the ability to go into the commander and say hey sir you know we've been on the team together too long you know we're starting to have some some cognitive you know yep Yep. dulling here we need to break it up a little bit you know in the army that doesn't always get to happen yeah but if you're on a team for a for a considerable amount of time understanding that sometimes that may be yep. the 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 strength that could
1: be the weakness. Yeah. How do you uh, protect against that? So there's, it, it, your question actually deals with a couple of different issues. So one of the things that I will say to a lot of the teams that I work with, uh, because one of the greatest strengths that most people on mission critical teams have is their family. But one of the problem is because of the world they work in, they often can't go home and talk to their family about, hey, this is what happened today, right? Mm-hmm. And so there often is this gap. And one of the ways to overcome that and do what you're talking to is make a commitment every year to learn something new. It could be anything. It could be ballroom dancing. It could be chess. It doesn't. It literally doesn't matter. It could be gardening. It could, doesn't matter. The point is you're doing something as a beginner with someone you care about. So you're both beginners. So you have to learn and remember what it is to be a beginner again. And you have to go through the process of exercising those muscles of, all right i feel stupid i'm like i'm all fumbly and umbly, which is not my good place but i'm going to master this and in the act of mastering it you're activating parts of your brain that lend itself to even though it's not related it's related in terms of what we call your neural plasticity your ability of your brain to look around corners
2: so I, I think with that like you you know you're here in sports psychology today many of you may be hearing an education um, you hear growth mindset, fixed mindset, and I think that's part of it. Like, yep. what are you looking for opportunities to be curious, and you use the term, and I love it, weaponizing your curiosity. Well, you need to weaponize it across multiple facets of life, and that, you know, yep. learning something with your significant other, learning something with your kids, going through that experience. What does it look like, what do you look like when you're learning? What do you look like when you're challenged? What do you look like um, when you hit that first obstacle? How do you tend to problem solve? Remembering what that feels like, because especially even if you look at like, special forces team, you've got guys that have been doing it for ten years. You've got guys that this it's our first day on the team. Can you remember what it was like to have your first day on that team? And like what it feels like to learn all the new rules for the first time? It's it's I laughed during COVID like bread making (laughs) became like a thing around the US. Yeah. Right? But like what does it feel like to have to read the manual or the recipe book? Like what does it look to build something where you don't know the outcome? Mm -hmm. It's actually a great experience for people. Yeah. Because I think it it does connect the team um, and it stops you from being totally in that comfort zone. It pushes you out of it. So
1: that's what I was going to say. I just recently talked to somebody who said they were in the in the in the sports mm-hmm. and they were in um, fighting, so boxing. And they were like, "How do you know when a boxer is getting to the end of their career?" And they and they said they lo- they start looking for matches they know they can win. And once they do that, mm-hmm. you know it's towards the end. Okay. And so the great boxers are looking for the next that they're still like putting it all on the table like i'm not guaranteed to win this you know the ones that are declined they're looking for people they know they can win and so you always want to be in the business of looking for the fight you may lose
2: and i think when you get out of practice with that yeah like I, i you know moments where i've realized even in my own career where i've gotten to sit comfortable for a while the next time someone says hey we should look into x you kind of have that moment of man, do I want to enter back into that learning moment? Yeah. But when you're doing it all the time, when you know you've got a steep learning curve, when I first started working with the Army and I knew I had to learn rank structures and and how this whole place was built, what what units were on Fort Bragg, there was um, the ego drops and the expectations drop because why should I know this? And you're in such a great place because I think oftentimes that person on your team even becomes the person where they're like, hey, you know, who can... Uh, you know one of the vehicles got broken. who can fix this? Well, I can yeah. like I dabbled in this. I played with that. I have just enough experience to be dangerous at this x skill that we didn 't know we were going to yeah. need, and I think that that's a piece too of when you talk um capability or capacity building within a team, how are you continually building capacity
1: there's another piece to this too, which is it's, it's related to this right which is so we, we took a bunch of students and we climbed Kilimanjaro. Mm-hmm. And it just happened to be that particular expedition, I was the problem. Like, I did everything wrong, right? Like, I was the beginner. I had made all the amateur mistakes. I've been doing expeditions for 20 years. I'm not a new at this. But that was my trip to just be the idiot, right? Everyone gets their turn. But one of the new students who was really struggling, like, really struggling with altitude and everything else, saw that I was struggling, and it was really weird for them to see me struggling. So it came up to me. His name was Sam, and he was like, Preston? How about this? How about you just follow me and get on the SAM train and just me, you and me will, we'll, and we climb the mountain together. But later he said he would not have made it had he not been in service to making sure I would make it. Mm-hmm. And it was the weirdest thing for him. But the big lesson for me was giving people, especially younger than me, the opportunity to mentor or coach me in authentic ways because I'm learning a new skill yeah. is a gift that will last the rest of their lives.
2: Can I ask you to hit on yeah. one of the things you talked about was like the difference between the 20 year old and the 30 year old. Yeah. And and just in terms of like physicality, capability, the idea of 100% of the time being at peak performance. And then also yeah. maybe like when you're the 30 year old but in charge of the 40 year old, yeah. what does modeling look like?
1: That's right. So here's the one message I would have for everybody because everybody who's listening to this is a future leader or a current leader. And the most important thing you have to understand is that people don't listen, they watch. End of story. People do not listen, they watch. They watch what you're doing. You can give the greatest brave heart speech, but if you're a jerk, they remember jerk. So one of the things that happens in this community, especially, Army's famous for this, Marines as well, some others as well, is that in your 20s, the belief is, I'm gonna throttle down and be 100%, 100% of the time. I'll be perfect in everything I do, and anything less than that is substandard. And you can actually pull it off for most of your 20s. Just pure youth will allow you to do that. But once you hit your thirties, that train comes off the tracks because you're worn out. You're worn out cognitively or you haven't gotten enough sleep for years or sleep deprived. All these things are coming off the rails. And then you're starting to role model unsustainable behaviors to the people following you. Mm. And so what I would just suggest that everybody does in a leadership role is not ask the question, am I doing enough for myself? but am I role modeling the kind of leadership for my subordinates that I want them to emulate? Yeah. So that, to to both of those points, our our very first episode
0: of this podcast, we had Major General Roberson, yep. our commanding general. Yes, sir. And we talked about mentorship. Yeah. And one of the things that he had brought up about mentorship was that when in the army profession or military profession in general, or in anything, when you're young and new, you have a lot of mentors to look to. Yeah. A lot of examples. Yeah. When you get towards the top yeah you become the mentor but there's not a lot of people there to then for example uh general milley yeah four-star general chairman of the joint chiefs yep there's not a lot of army four-star generals that outrank him or senior to him that he can look to yeah as a structural mentor yeah so um same thing that i've kind of seen on a on an sf Detachment. Yep. New team leader, fresh captain out of the Q course. Yeah. The world is mine. I'm going to change everything. I'm going to end the war. Yeah. I know it all. And you show up to that team with a team sergeant who's been there for 18 years, who's like, this is my fifth team leader. Yep. Summer help is here. Yep. This guy will be gone in a year. Yep. I'm just going to... Um, there's obviously goodness and badness yep. in both of those approaches. Yeah. From what you've seen in all these great teams you were working with and the people that you see here with the students and the instructors, how do we how do we harness the best in both of those? Like yep. how does that
1: work on a team? So I'll start by telling you one of the failures that I had in my life that changed everything. So I was I went to this event, I worked for the at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania for many years, and I sat down next to this grandmotherly kind of a woman, and next to me was this famous Nobel laureate and I was super, super interested in talking to this person. And I kind of discounted this person. It turned out this person was internationally recognized by the UN and was far more interesting. And I wasted an hour of the night trying to get this attention when I could have spent an hour learning things that would have changed my life had I just looked right. Mm. Too often, we're looking for mentors to the people who look like mentors. But the truth is, there's mentors all around us. If we're just curious again, if we just ask a few questions, what do you do? How do you spend your days? Like, where do you come from? And I continuously am surprised by the extraordinary number of people I'll bump into that in 20 minutes can change the way I see the world. And so what I would say is, don't look for the obvious targets, look everywhere. Mm.
2: I would, yeah, just to jump on that. So. Um, mission-critical teams usually gets to hold an in-person uh, get-together either in New York and San Diego, and it's this amazing event where there's no one at the table that I sit at that I don't want to talk to, right. um, and you're a fool not to try to talk to everybody, but um, I think that one of the things that I realized, particularly when I was working in baseball, is yeah. baseball expects you to pick up your phone and respond at all times. I used to joke that it was like my electronic leash. Like, yeah. If it rang and it was baseball, mm. I was supposed to answer, and I realized one of the biggest pieces in the curiosity yeah. was being able to be present in the conversation with you mm. or with you yeah and i don't for me i tend to i usually know what's going on all across a room and yeah. so it's really hard for me to turn off all of this yeah. and just be in the conversation with you yep. and when i do that the curiosity is there i'm reading your nonverbals. Yep. the conversation is so interesting i'm learning so much but the thing i would offer too on a mental side is I think sometimes we're losing that skill because we're not practicing it of right now it's okay that you're the only thing that i'm focused on and that it's the only thing that matters right now i'm just going to listen to this presentation right now i'm just going to have this conversation right now i'm just going to get to know a teammate yeah. and nothing else needs to be part of this moment but how often like it's become normal and even okay it's not against our manners anymore to be having a conversation someone be like oh hold on yeah and they'll answer their text I think we're missing those opportunities sometimes to get to know teammates. Uh, I think even on your podcast, Coleman Ruiz talks about, um, he had teammates where he didn't even know their family structures, or realized afterward he didn't even know why they became a Navy SEAL. I think sometimes we forget to ask the obvious questions, to be in the moment with the people that we're around, um, and to delve deep enough where you get into those interesting conversations. What does your captain have to offer? You may Mm -hmm. assume you know his background. Maybe he was an NCO before this. Maybe you never ask. Mm. Maybe you make the assumption. Maybe your last West Point guy sucked, maybe this one's great. Um, and the same thing for a Team Sergeant.
1: When we run expeditions, not, not even too old to do this, but when I was running expeditions, one of our principles was, we all go deep fast. Because we're not going to be together long, we're only going to be together 10 days. We're not going to spend a lot of time sort of like wasting time. I'm immediately going to check in with you, find out who you are, what you care about. Because if I'm going to be in the middle of nowhere, cold, wet, tired, and hungry, I need to know that now if we're going to move from transactional to transformational. Mm-hmm. And for us in education, that's what we're always trying to do. That's the sweet spot. I don't want to transact with you as an instructor. I want to help transform you towards your potential. That's how I want you to remember me. I want to be part of that. That's what makes all this amazing. But to do that, I've got to do this. I've got to go deep fast.
0: So all of our students here, um, I can only speak to my experience in the Q course, in the qualification course and getting towards the end and and Robin Sage, and they bring you all together into a team, a training operational detachment, which mimics that of a operational detachment in the army. But in that case, that team's been together for a little bit longer. so in Robin Sage, they expect these individuals that are still very much novices to come together, to do something in a high-performing way yeah. as a, as individuals. Um, and some of our some of our students, when they get to that, some do great. Some some have a challenge. Mm-hmm. What what would you recommend for, for those out there listening, um, to in terms of looking at um, performing, high, high performing on a team when they're not necessarily, you know,
1: at that level yet. So a couple, just real quick, just some language here. There are groups, there are teams, and there are swarms. Okay. A group is just an assemblage of people. Okay. A team is actually a, a group of people that are interdependent. I can't do my job if you don't do your job. Okay. And that's a team. So if you're on a, with a group of people, but you're not interdependent, you're not actually on a team. And so you have to establish interdependency, trust and cohesion, right? And, and then, by the way, a swarm is just a gathering of people that have to execute quickly to do a thing. Think about a car crash, right? Car crash, everyone pulls over, rushes over to get the person. That's a swarm. That's a great, a tactical swarm. Awesome. They're going to save a life. But they might not know, even know each other's names. Mm-hmm. If you're working together, what your goal is is to build trust and cohesion. So you just ask some very obvious questions. How do people build trust and cohesion with me? Then do that. Like It's that simple, right? It's like, well, a little bit of vulnerability, a little bit of like, I got to let people know who I am and what I am. And what do I want to role model? Well, I probably want to be the person instigating that. Where do I want to start from? Probably not bragging, probably by curiosity. Tell me where you're from. Tell me what you care about. Let me share it with you.
2: So I think one of the things that Robin Sage does that's so interesting is it, it it does it says basically how quickly can you how quickly can you go deep? Yeah. And and therefore how well is your team going to perform, mm-hmm. right? So if you're prepping for Robin Sage and you don't know what team you're going to be on, how well do you know yourself? Yep. How well have you thought about what you want to model to others? Yep. Are you willing to be curious and put yourself out there and ask other people questions or so are you like too cool and hanging to the side because no one else else asking some question or are you walking up and saying, "Hey, I'm so and so. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is, you know, why I'm here." Who
1: are you? Um, you know, a real, sorry to interrupt you, no, but a real interesting part of this is what we've found is that there's a whole lot of reputational risk that goes on okay. early in teams, right? Everybody's avoiding wanting to get the nickname. I don't want to get in early and then get named as the bossy guy or the, or the pushy guy, right? So I'm gonna hang back because what I'm fearing is I don't want a nickname. But think about that for a second. If what you're, if what you're deciding to do is based on your fears rather than your potential, you've already lost. You've already lost. So if you're already going into an exercise afraid you might get a nickname, it's over anyway. So so stop, just commit yourself. Expect that everybody around you wants the same thing you want, throttle down into that and support them. Sorry to interrupt no, you.
2: No, but I think you bring up a great point too of like, think about where the best team you've ever been on started yeah. and then where they get to. And like my phrase with that would be like, great teams get dirty fast. Yeah. And what I mean by dirty is like, you probably had one nickname and five months later you probably have another and there's a lot of inside jokes and there are nicknames and guys are hanging out and touching each other and and and, i mean like the both the physical signs of a tight team and the inside jokes of a tight team those are real and so
1: i call it distance to puppy pile yeah talk more about that so uh, if you put 10 teams on a field if you look at them You'll, you can tell from a distance which ones are doing well. And part of it is a physical proximity. Great teams, like every team I've ever worked with on an expedition, by the end of the expedition, even if there's a big room, they're all sitting on the same couch together on top of one another. They physically want to be touching and near each other. I don't know why. I just know that's the mark of great teams.
2: Well, and I think you hear post-deployment, and yeah. I'm sure you've heard the story. Like, I laughed, I was talking to two guys and they were like, we come home from deployment and they were living near each other in Florida, and they were like, we just want to go hang out with each other. And it drives our wives crazy because we just deployed together, but like, they miss each other. Yeah. You know, And I think that that's that sign of like you've gotten past the fear, the ego, and you've gotten into just enjoying and, yeah. and being performance oriented with that. That's right. And I feel like that's you want to you want to be on a great team. You want to you know get to a place where that team's gonna throw out novel and exciting ways to solve problems. You want to get out there where you can fully show the team your capability? Get dirty fast. Yeah,
1: but to your earlier point, what makes great teams great? When you're on them, what makes them great is your you you can't surf the wave by yourself, but together you can. And once you experience that once, once you're part of something that takes what you have and accelerates yeah. it, and you can't achieve by yourself what you can achieve with them, you get hungry for that. You're yeah. like, I'd like more of that.
0: <laughs> it, it, it becomes a, a collective comfort yeah. to have that, and I think that... Um, I can give an anecdote just like that that matches for what those in uniform, um, right here at Fort Bragg, 3rd Special Forces Group, when we were in these old buildings over here. You see the new buildings right across the street, they're the ones that look like they were left in the 1980s. Yeah. Um, Small, low ceiling team rooms. You walk down the hall, every detachment, you know, lights maybe not working, but you walk in there and a detachment's got the old couch they found at the thrift store. And it looks like a a, te- a dugout, a team room where a team hangs out. Yeah. Um, and people like that. Yeah, They built us the new battalion operating facilities out at the Yarbrough complex down on Chicken Road. State-of-the-art buildings. Yep. Surgical, professional, building, operation, office-like. And we moved everybody in where everybody on the team was supposed to have, this is your desk, this is your desk, this is your desk, <laughs> this, is your desk. this is your spot walk in one day and the team's got everything off of that wall moved off <laughs> yeah. and that's become like yeah. that's where we put all our stuff that's yeah. where we all sit that's where the couch is going and they went back to that yeah. feeling of comfort yep. and some people would look at that and say oh it's, a, it's culture might be but there's some comfort in it's that also human. in that team dynamic yeah. of
1: coming together as a team. Well, it's right. also sitting in the cave after the hunt, right? Like exactly. this is some very primal Sit- that's stuff. That's a
0: good way to look at. It. Very primal. Yeah, like, sitting in the it's cave v- after
1: the hunt. It's very that's primal. Right. It's it's literally like you're still alive and you're still alive and I can smell you. We're still human. Like that's right. all that stuff still matters. That's right.
2: Can you talk a little bit about because I think this is one of the things we we talk about in high performance and we've got such a driven population here but the expectation that you can perform at 100 percent, 100 percent of the time
1: yeah you just can't right and so what ends up happening we've actually here's the one thing we know after 20 years of war we're really good at breaking people like really good at it um and the problem is it's self-perpetuating and so what ends up happening is no matter what we do with nyco and study the chemistry which i know you know way more about than i do we just know that that the high performance is a sine wave. You can't stay in high performance. You achieve high performance for the playoffs, and then you have to chill out for a little while. You deceive high performance for the battle, and then you have to crash for a while. Mm. If you push off that crash, you're not getting rid of it. You're just compacting it. And when the crash comes, it comes with velocity and with power. So wh- here's here's the easiest way to understand this is that a good friend of mine is a guy named Vikram Bakro. He's a heart surgeon, he now runs FIMRIC, which is one of the largest sort of pediatric sort of international heart surgery groups, Um, famous guy. And I said, I was asking him and a guy named Chris Warner, I was asking Chris Warner, who was a mountaineer, when he knew he became a professional. And he was like, when I made friends with the pain. Before I used to compartmentalize it, and once I became friends with it, it was fine. But then Vikram said, me too. And everyone looked over at this surgeon like, what now? Like Mountaineer we get, surgeon we don't get. He says, if I have three patients in a day and I lose that first patient, if I don't mourn that loss then it distracts me from the second patient. The only way I survive to become professional is that I own each loss in the moment. And I take the time, I mourn the loss, and then I can get to the next one. We see this in professional sports. If you can't accept the loss and reset for the next play, then that loss haunts you and distracts you and will lower your performance. Mm-hmm. And so the lesson really is own, don't own high performance or 100%. Own the sine wave. Know when you're going to peak, own it, and then let yourself drop in.
2: I yeah. think a big part, part of play. that, um, so putting together some of your stuff, like what's the difference between that 20-year-old um, maybe going through the Q course and what's the difference between that high performing team yeah. um, that, that maybe has gotten to do a few deployments together and is doing a good job. And I think some of that to me is when they start to own how a human functions yeah. and they start to know it, right? And yeah. so it's not, can you run at 100 miles per hour into wall after wall after wall after wall after wall after wall after wall That only works for so long. It's when does the team, the leadership, the individuals start to realize, hey, we're important in this. So when do we want to peak? When, or, when are we going to need to drop? When can I watch you guys and say, "Hey, like you don't need to take this one. You need a break. You need to stand up. Yep. We need to get. We need you to get sleep because we're gonna need you that's for other right. stuff." When do they start to think about themselves as important assets to how that team's gonna perform? Yeah. When do they stop demanding one hundred percent, one hundred percent of the time? And so, you know, when we talk about like so separate, we talk about the cognitive piece. To me, that's such a huge component of when do you start to realize you matter and weaponizing your mindset, weaponizing curiosity, weaponizing how you function or um, or leveraging, maybe leveraging is a better word, leveraging those components of you are human that has components to it that yep. are really important you consider. Man, I mean, I think that's such an essential ingredient. But
1: just owning it to your point, right? Like the FDNY and Wildland Fire, because just the way they're structured, they know people will get emotionally involved in fires, right? Especially when lives are at risk. And so if you're in the ops center and you've been there for 12 hours and it's time to rotate out, you're going to fight it. We see this in NASA with flight directors too. You're going to fight it like, wait, I'm really invested. I need to go. But leadership will come in and go, no, get out of here. Like, go get some sleep. You can't be here because I actually need you for the next cycle. I think that's for higher performers
0: that's something that's sometimes hard to yeah. do yes. because it's it, it feels unnatural. Yeah. But I think as you're saying it and what comes to mind is that sometimes you have to you have to rest with the same amount of fervor and energy that yeah. you perform. Yeah, You have to take a step back with the same amount of commitment yes. that you take a step forward. Hundred percent. And yeah. you know, I look at um I've got a I've got a two year old son and this guy yeah. is just hundred miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. But when he goes to sleep it <laughs> is drool on pillow yeah. face ragdoll fully wrinkled, committed yeah. committed yeah and it is and but and when he's up again boom but when he's sleeping commitment yeah, yeah. to sleeping so, so what
1: so. i what i say to everybody in the 5i community is are you building a 4 year career or a 20 year career because at the pace you're having you won't make 20 years hmm. you'll have an amazing 4 years don't that's get right. me wrong you will crush it for 4 years right. and great you'll be broken afterwards you'll have to recover but that's on you but if you're building 20 years that's not what this looks like
2: what i think I think two talking to people in the community, I had six years here and then I went to baseball and now I'm back. So a lot of people during my first six years have gotten to kind of, that they're, they're getting to their 20 years, they're retiring out. Man, they're hurting. Yeah. You know? And so they might have made it 20, but they're talking about returning home and they can't hear and they don't have their balance and they've given up their motorcycle because they can't ride it because they don't have their balance because yep. they have vestibular hips, issues. Hips, knees, ankles. Their hips, their knees are gone. They can't move. They don't like to walk. Right. They won't take the dog for the walk because, so... What is, what is that, right? Yeah. And, and and so I think there's a piece there, too, of what's necessary because... You,
1: yeah, if you're going to be of service to the country, you don't have to sacrifice your mind and your body and your spirit to do it, right? Like, you you should have a second act. But to do that, you have to be thoughtful now. But what I say to people, and I'm sorry to interrupt yeah, you, but please. I'm passionate about this, don't do it for you. Like, you're perfect. Let's success, Like, all of you, you're all perfect. But is your behaviors perfect? Is that role modeling? Is that going to allow the person behind you to have their hips when they're later later in their life? Is it going to be able to pick up their grandchildren? If not, is that the curse you want to pass on? Mm. That's the question I want everyone asking.
0: And that I think that takes a um, a mature mindset. Yeah, it it's a, it's a hard question. It's yeah. not um and it's not a an, an easy thing to do. You know, here at the at the center in school our, our command sergeant major Joe Fancher yeah. um, he's been in the in the special operations community longer than I've been in the army and you know very much so as the as he passes on to next generation of non-commissioned officers you have to be mature and you know methodical in your in your career yeah because we want you for the long haul that's right. We want you to be here 20 years from now still in a piece yep. yeah. able to walk yeah. able to teach the next yep come your up. soul intact don't don't yeah. break yourself in four years and then we can't have you in the next 20 so yep. I think that's that's it's a it's a very important way to look at things and that's why that's why you are dr. Klein so, <laughs> <laughs> but for um, CC and dr. Klein yeah. thank you so much for joining us thank it's you. always a pleasure to to talk with both of you yeah. thank you for coming down to Bragg and visiting us you're you're no stranger to Fort Bragg and special operations community and CC right here in our center in school um, with our SOSEP and they do so much for for our community to make our soldiers our instructors our cadre uh, better at what they do because our nation demands it um, so to both of you thank you for what you do to our for our community for our country thanks for joining us today to all, everyone out there that's watching or listening stay safe and we'll see you next time thank you.